0: i'm father john gatzak with many questions that you and i will ask archbishop blair as he responds to what matters to you in the archbishop's corner out in a fishing boat empty and exhausted peter discovered the wonder of god's second chance one day jesus used his boat as a platform the crowd on the beach was so great that jesus needed a buffer so he preached from peter's boat then he told peter to take him fishing The apostle-to-be had no interest. He was tired. He had fished all night. He was discouraged. He had caught nothing. He was dubious. What did Jesus know about catching fish? Peter was self-conscious. People packed the beach. Who wants to fail in public? But Jesus insisted, and Peter relented. At your word, I will let down the net. This was a moment of truth for Peter. He was saying, I will try again, your way. When he did, the catch of fish was so great that the boat nearly sank. Sometimes we just need to try again with Christ in the boat. In the Archbishop's Corner is the best place to get the encouragement to try again. And Archbishop Blair is the best person to provide that encouragement based on faith, rooted and grounded in the words of Jesus, let's go fishing. Failures are fatal only if we fail to learn from them. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for inviting us into your space, into the Archbishop's Corner. How are you doing on this first day of a brand new year?
1: Well, pretty well. It's too soon to say anything more because it just started.
0: (laughs) This is true. So it's a new year, and at the start of a new year, tradition has it that we make resolutions. Resolutions that help us live healthier physically, morally, spiritually. It helps, too, in keeping those resolutions if we make them public. We can then have the encouragement and support of family and friends in keeping those resolutions. So let me ask you, Archbishop, any resolution that you've made this new year?
1: Well, at my age, you know, they're kind of piled up over the years, my resolutions. I think, really, the important thing to do is fidelity to one's obligations, to one's state in life, to rededicating yourself to uh, the duties uh, that religion requires. And they're not duties that are a burden. They're duties that are meant to liberate us and and free us. And I think they do. But we have to, of course... uh, always, when we fall, we have to get up, we have to keep striving.
0: I was impressed with your homily that you gave uh, for the mass, the Christmas mass that you celebrated on television, and you spoke also about inviting people to come back to church, especially if they've been away because of the COVID pandemic. That might be a good resolution to encourage people to make that at this time of the new year that one of the resolutions you could make for the new year is to be more faithful to Sunday obligation to attend Mass, huh?
1: Oh, absolutely. I can't think of anything more important than that, not just for my benefit as a bishop that we want the people back, but for your own eternal welfare. Hmm. And I, again, as I I think the way I said it at Christmas was that I fully appreciate there are people who are homebound because of health or other circumstances, and certainly. You you can't, no one can do what's impossible or what's not in in their best interest of their health, et cetera. But clearly with mass attendance lagging so much from what it was before COVID, there are a lot of people out there who are able-bodied and who I think go to many other things. Um, you know, the airports are crowded, the shopping mall's crowded, uh, the restaurants are crowded. It's time to come back to church. And um, it's it's an invitation. But I have to say, as bishop, it's also my job to admonish people, because this is a, a very serious spiritual question. You know, if one doesn't fulfill one's obligation to worship God at Sunday Mass or to receive Holy Communion uh, worthily, this is a problematic. So, uh, again, people do these days, for health reasons and other, disabilities may not be able to come. But for those who can, it's very important to get back in the habit
0: well, we also pray for a peaceful world as we begin a new year. We anticipate new beginnings. We make resolutions. And talk a little bit about the fact that we need to build a much more peaceful world and our own individual obligations to be part of that building of a peaceful world, Archbishop.
1: Well, this is kind of, um, it's not a simple thing uh, because we do live in a fallen sinful world. And Jesus said, peace I leave you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives peace do I give peace to you. And we have to realize that, yes, as believers in Christ and all that he taught about love of neighbor, uh, that we we do have to work very hard for peace. But at the same time, we're not living in paradise here. We're not living. We don't, I always uh, take exception to when people talk about us building the kingdom of God. Nobody can build a kingdom of God except God. We can build up the king, his kingdom. That I, can, I appreciate because, in other words, when we live by the virtues, when we live by the virtues of the gospel, then we are building up the kingdom of God. We're making it present in our lives, in our communities, in our world. But we're not going to ever build uh, an earthly kingdom of peace. We strive uh, to uh, keep things peaceful here in a sinful world, and we have to do that with all our might. But ultimately, we pray, thy kingdom come, and we wait for Christ the King to come uh, and transform this world in the end.
0: On On the point that you just made, that doesn't absolve us, for instance, because we're not going to build a peaceful world. That doesn't absolve us from making peace with family members who have been alienated, perhaps, and haven't spoken for the past three years. That doesn't absolve us from taking positive action toward building a better home, peaceful environment, does it?
1: Oh, well, I'm glad you said that because maybe I, I, the way I'm stating it could be misunderstood. We absolutely have to be witnesses of peace uh, of the gospel. We have to strive with all our might to bring peace to our families, to our communities, to our country, and to the world, to be peacemakers. You know, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers— so there's no question about that. And what I was trying to say is that ultimately, we don't recreate the, a peaceful world. Only God can do that. But each of us individually in within a fallen and sinful world can make a difference to mitigate the uh, effects of sin, to, to push back against evil and violence and hatred. And in doing that, that's an absolute obligation we have as followers of Christ. So we, I think your question has to do even with... Well, it's in the obvious place. We, you and I can't you can't do that on a worldwide level ourselves, but beginning in our own house with our own associates in our own community, the people we live with and work with, yes, we do have to be peacemakers. We have to be, uh, at the prayer of St. Francis, as instruments of God's peace.
0: Today on New Year's Day, the Church observes the solemnity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Mother of God. Talk for a moment about why the appropriateness of the Church celebrating a solemnity dedicated to Mary's motherhood on the first day of a new year and during the heart of the Christmas season.
1: Well, this was uh, something that, uh, I mean, it it, it has, it, obviously Christmas is very much Marian as well as uh, Christological. It's about M- Mary giving birth, but there's no uh, absolute reason why January 1st should be dedicated to, to honoring Mary. In fact, in the older calendar, it used to be the Feast of Christ's Circumcision in keeping with Jewish law. But but it is an occasion for all of us to honor Mary's role in the incarnation and to proclaim the truth that she's not just the mother of Jesus as a a man, but she's also the mother of God, that Jesus is true God and true man. And it is accurate, it's correct to say in that sense that uh, Mary is the mother of God.
0: Well, tomorrow, January 2nd, is the start of somebody will laugh about this week. We've all used that expression, and many will be saying this week when they violate their New Year's resolutions. Most importantly, this week helps us to remember the art of laughing at ourselves while encouraging people to strive for excellence. How important do you think it is to laugh at yourself from time to time, Archbishop? Not take yourself so seriously.
1: Well, yes, people who do take themselves too seriously can be pretty miserable and cause misery to others. I mean, you know, lightheartedness and joy are supposed to be hallmarks of a Christian life. Who was the famous British author who says the the reason that angels can fly is they take themselves so lightly? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think uh, there's a truth to that. A kind of heaviness of spirit or dour kind of disposition is not a Christian one that we, I mean, we can, we can be lighthearted because Christ has won the victory. We're, we're called, to, we've been saved. We've been called to eternal life. We just have to stick it out, the slings and arrows of of life in this world till the end. Oh, but uh, there's no reason to be dour. Although, admittedly, for many people who suffer horribly under different oppressions, one thinks of the poor people in Ukraine right now, it's not exactly easy for them to be lighthearted. But even there, even there, I think when we look at history, at the history of terrible tragedies and things that have happened, there have always been the, the people who encouraged, inspired, and uh, and cheered up other people in the midst of it because they they had a, a good spirit, and many times that good spirit has come from their faith.
0: And that good spirit uh, is what sometimes gets us through the most difficult times in life.
1: Huh? And there are a lot of people these days right here in our own country who are not exactly in the most cheerful frame of mind. A lot of people feel very oppressed and and disturbed by many things. And if we're people of faith, we should bring some joy into their life and some encouragement uh, because, again, sustained as we are by our faith.
0: On Wednesday, we celebrate National Spaghetti Day, usually made from semolina flour, this long, thin cylindrical pasta of Italian and Sicilian origin has been a worldwide favorite for ages. Many varieties of pasta dishes, from spaghetti alla carbonara or garlic and oil to spaghetti with tomato sauce, meat sauce, bolognese, alfredo sauce, clam sauce, other sauces. So let me ask you, what's your favorite spaghetti sauce?
1: I think you ask me this every year. Do I? (laughs) But I'm happy to answer. I think it's carbonara when it's properly made.
0: See, I'm with you. In Rome. I'm with you. Uh, I believe in carbon. Occasionally,
1: I encounter it properly made here in the States, but not very often.
0: Okay. All right. So, you know how to properly make it.
1: No. I know how to properly eat it.
0: (laughs) Well, properly made is that it's not made with cream. It's totally egg.
1: I don't even look in the kitchen. I have no idea what they put in it, but I can tell when it's right. I know it.
0: Okay. Thursday... The fifth of January, we observe the feast day of Saint John Newman, the first American bishop to be beatified. Born in what is now the Czech Republic, and after studying in Prague, he came to New York and was ordained a priest. He joined the Redemptorists and later became superior of all the Redemptorists in the United States. In 1852, Pope Pius IX named him Bishop of Philadelphia. He was devoted to education, was the first ecclesiastic to organize a diocesan school system in the United States. Do you want to comment on the life of St. John Newman?
1: Well, St. John Newman is a perfect exemplar of someone who was a very ordinary person uh, who did an extraordinary job uh, by fulfilling the obligations that were his in life. He would be the first to tell you for what we know of his writings and such. He was a very humble man, a simple man uh, in some ways. But he, at his time and his place in establishing the church in the United States, he wound up doing things that had a profound and lasting value. And in his own spirituality, as is evident by his demeanor and his writings and such, he exhibited a tremendous amount of fidelity and and holiness. And so I'm not surprised that in God's providence, the signs have been given to us from heaven that, that he is worthy of veneration as a saint in the church.
0: Well, let's take a look now at the road to happiness in life, Archbishop. This is where we examine the wisdom of Pope Francis, drawn from some of his writings. I'll read a short portion of the Holy Father's address, and we'll ask you to comment with your own thoughts on what Pope Francis has said. This is taken from Pope Francis's Angelus, delivered on January 6th of 2017, and is called Lights That Dazzle and Lights That Illuminate. The Pope says, Life has many different kinds of lights, one that sparkle and ones that guide. It is up to us to choose which ones to follow. For example, there are flashing lights that come and go, the small pleasures of life. Although they may be fun, they are not enough because they do not last and they do not give us the peace we seek. Then there is the dazzling limelight of money, fame and success. This light promises the world and all at once. It is a seductive light, but its intensity blinds us. It is a light that begins in dreams of glory and fades into the darkest darkness. The magi, instead, invite us to follow a steady light, a gentle light, that never fades, because it is not of this world. It comes from heaven and shines, where? In the heart. This true light is the Lord's light, or rather, it is the Lord himself. He is our light. He is a light that does not dazzle. He is a light that guides us and bestows a unique joy. Archbishop, your thoughts.
1: Well, Jesus himself, uh said that he was the light of the world. And uh, light, of course, means everything. Can you imagine? Without light, everything disappears. It's just not possible to perceive or to partake of anything. So light is a glorious, wonderful gift. But of course, we depend on it materially from the sun and other sources. But uh, spiritually, that wonderful prayer in the Mass that that God lives in unapproachable light but, of course, that light becomes approachable once we are in Christ. Because once we are part of the body of Christ, we become part of that light. And we perceive the light. We we can perceive the, the light that God is. We talk about when people die, entering a, a place of happiness, light, and peace. Lux, lucis in Latin. Coming to the light is, is very important. So, the Holy Father's words are simply saying that don't be misled. By the material lights of this world, which are fading and, and, and pass away, but that light that never fails. We also say that at Easter, you know, when we light the, the Paschal candle in the darkness, that Christ is the light that, that will never fail. And uh, I, I think it's a very timely thing at the beginning of a new year to ask, what light are we following in our lives?
0: Let's look at our Gospel reading on this New Year's Day, the first day of January. Today's reading on the Solemnity of Mary, the Holy Mother of God, is from Luke's Gospel, the second chapter. And after the Gospel is dramatically presented, we'll talk with you, Archbishop, asking for your thoughts. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying which had been told them concerning this child and all who heard it wondered what the shepherds told them. But Mary
1: kept all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds
0: returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Archbishop, what are your thoughts on hearing this gospel?
1: Well, it's a little bit of a continuation, of course, of the mystery that we are celebrating, this great mystery of Christmas. You know, the shepherds coming and seeing Mary and Joseph and the child. But then it talks about after eight days were completed, it was Christ's circumcision. I mentioned earlier that in the older church calendar, that was the feast on January 1st that was observed. But remember, circumcision is the sign of uh, entrance, initiation into God's people, uh, the Jewish people, uh, for a boy uh, to be circumcised was was the sign of, of uh, membership, of identity. And so uh, we recall in that, even though we, we talk about uh, or remember the Magi who came from all the different parts uh, of the, uh, represented traditionally, they're, they're symbolically thought of as people from non-Jew- the non-Jewish world coming to pay their homage to Christ, the circumcision reminds us that Christ w- w- was uh, uh, and, and, re- and is a Jewish. That, that's very important because Christ in his sacred humanity, in his manhood, uh, remains a part of the, of the Jewish uh, race. Now, obviously, as true God and true man, he transcends his human uh, identity or ethnicity. But this is a profound thing to realize. It, it kind of underscores the reality of Christ's humanity and uh, because Jesus was the fulfillment of all the promises uh, that God had made through his chosen people uh, in the Old Testament
0: it says that Mary kept all these things reflecting on them in her heart what does that mean
1: well i think it means that mary didn't first of all did not could not comprehend the full meaning of all that was happening from the beginning she lived with a certain puzzlement of what all this could possibly mean she lived a life of faith, of profound faith. So we mustn't think that the Blessed Mother had this all figured out. (laughs) The Blessed Mm. Mother from the beginning, she had to enter into this mystery somehow and and be faithful even with things she did not understand at the time. And so that's a model for us because there's a lot in our life and our world we don't understand at all. But we have to believe that God is at work and there is a salvific plan that is uh, afoot in the world and in our lives. And we, we, our responsibility is to be faithful, to be faithful and to put our trust in God.
0: St. Teresa of Calcutta, Mother Teresa, said, If you ever feel distressed during your day, call upon Our Lady. Just say this simple prayer, Mary, Mother of Jesus, please be a mother to me now. I must admit, says Mother Teresa, this prayer has never failed me. Your thoughts about this Archbishop?
1: Well, I couldn't agree more. I, I mean, it's a spirituality that every Catholic man or woman should have, uh, you know, that the, the motherhood of Mary, mother is, uh, Mary is the mother of the Church, of which we are members. She's the Church's first and most perfect member. And so when we want to know how we should live in faith, we look to her faith and we look to her intercession for us in heaven to see us through.
0: Archbishop, we have several questions that have been submitted by our listeners, so let's take a look at some of them right now. For instance, Sandra from New Haven says, why is the celebration of Three Kings Day a more prominent feast in the Hispanic Catholic community?
1: Oh, I don't know why, Sandra. Every culture, part of their history, and I don't know the full story of it. If Bishop Betancourt were with me, you know, the Three Kings are the patrons of Puerto Rico. And uh, so if you go to Puerto Rico, this is huge. And, and you see the three kings prominently displayed there uh, in Puerto Rico It's part of the Catholic history there. Why that became the chief observance, I don't know. But I think uh, this, is, this is a wonderful thing that the history of different peoples evolves into particular observances or customs or feast days. That's something that, to, to, be, to be celebrated. You know it's it's meant to be to be fun to be Catholic. We are not a dour living of the gospel, you know, to celebrate feasts uh, of saints and and events uh in our Lord the mysteries of faith uh I mean even Christmas and Easter and Pentecost and all the great feasts of the church in most cultures there Catholic cultures traditionally there are many wonderful customs and uh, ways of celebrating. Because it is, again, to, it's, to, to talk about this is to talk about joy, about happiness, not some dour kind of, uh, of thing.
0: Archbishop, I could not underline that, what you just said enough. I think it should be our theme for a renewed evangelization in our world. That is, it's fun to be Catholic. So true.
1: Well, it's not always fun. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. But seriously, there's a difference between joy and fun. And I I know what you're trying to say. uh, But, you know, fun can sometimes be superficial and really a worldly fleeting thing. But joy is much deeper. Joy is something. I mean, Jesus said that, uh, that I give you a joy that this world can't take away from you. And so all the slings and arrows of life that the world has for us cannot destroy that, that inner joy. And, when you're uh, when you're talking
0: I, about when you're talking about the Three Kings Day, there is a lot of fun that families have, especially oh, young sure. people. Oh, sure, no, so no, that's there a beautiful is, thing.
1: Yeah. Huh? No, no, it it is true. I mean, yeah, there there are two levels. You know, there's the deep joy that comes from uh, faith, and then there's the celebration of that joy that that is done in a you know a material kind of way. And both are they're certainly interrelated.
0: Mark from Plainville says. When the Solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, falls on a Sunday like it does this year, should Catholics go to Mass twice, once for Sunday obligation and once for the Solemnity of Mary?
1: No, Mark, I appreciate your zeal, but it's not uh, required if, uh, when, it, uh, when it, uh, Sunday is Sunday, and, and that, takes, uh, that takes the place of the, of the duplication of, uh, of uh, another Holy Day.
0: Anne from New Milford says, In the Diocese of the United States, the following directive is in force. When receiving Holy Communion standing, the communicant bows his or her head before the sacrament. Now, to me, to bow my head before the sacrament means I should be in direct view of it, that is, once I get to the head of the communion line. However, someone at my church told me that I should make my reverence before I reach the head of the line. To bow before I reach the head of the line implies to me that I am bowing to the person in front of me. Is there some specification as to when in the communion line one is to make their reverence before the sacrament?
1: Well, Anne, I don't think you have to be quite so precise in in your understanding. It's not uncommon for a person in the communion line to make their bow while the person ahead of them is receiving the sacrament. Certainly our Lord knows and everybody in church knows that you're, you're not bowing to the person in front of you. You're giving your reverence to Christ who is present there. I don't have any objection to making the bow a little bit ahead of time.
0: Jake from Torrington says, my wife and I were married in the midst of COVID-19, which allowed only 10 people to attend. Now that things are back to normal, can we have another wedding celebration in our church with all our extended family and friends?
1: Well, Jake, I I don't think you could reschedule a, a whole new wedding mass or celebration in church at a, some separate time that would not be appropriate but I certainly if you uh gathered the family to go uh, to a Sunday mass uh and maybe ask your pastor if uh, uh after mass he would uh have you uh give you a special blessing with your family present uh, to commemorate your your marriage I think that might be a very nice way to do it something along those lines
0: and Angie from North Branford says, I have two atheist co-workers who consistently discuss their opinions about Christianity. This week, they are hung up on all the atrocities committed in the name of God, especially in the Old Testament. How do I explain the old laws versus the new law and the God-sanctioned killings in the Old Testament?
1: Well, Angie, that's a big question. Um, I think that we have to understand that God's word... Uh, Or God's dealing with the human race evolves in keeping with the state that human beings are in at a particular time. So God in the Old Testament is always uh, more and more imposing limits on human killing and you know and human uh, revenge, those kinds of things. So this is kind of they talk about a divine pedagogy. God slowly educating the human race in preparation for Christ. So, for example, if at one time the, the Bible said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that was meant to mitigate acts of retribution. In other words, it may sound cruel to us now or, or, or uh, violent, but the point was that, that you could not do more than exact what was done to you at that point in human history. And eventually, Christ, of course, Christ says, uh, you know, an eye for an eye, truth for truth, but I say to you, uh, you know, that you, you have to go far beyond this in the law of love. So it's a kind of evolution, if you will, of a moral restraint on, on, on the human race leading in its fullness to the revelation made by Christ. So I think that the important thing, is to, uh, the bottom line is that the Old Testament, although there's much violence in it, the laws in the Old Testament are meant to put a limit, to limit violence, not to impose it.
0: Ted from Granby says, at his general audience, Pope Francis offered advice for building a more mature and more beautiful relationship with the Lord through prayer. He said, many people pray and request favors from the Lord without any real interest in him. And we need to learn to be with God without any ulterior motives. What do you think of Pope Francis's advice on prayer?
1: Well, I think it's excellent because it reflects the, the tradition and the teaching of the Church, even from Jesus himself. I mean, and certainly from the lives of the saints. There are many kinds of, of prayer, including the prayer of adoration and thanksgiving. The Mass is the greatest uh, prayer that there is, and the word Eucharist means thanksgiving. We unite ourselves to Christ in offering thanks to God the Father for the gift of life and eternal life. So petition for things or, or needs is always uh, uh, there because we're weak human beings. But the Our Father really teaches us the fullness of prayer. If you stop and meditate on all the different petitions that are in the Our Father, you'll see exactly how you should model your prayer. You know, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. St. Augustine said that uh, uh, your best servant, Lord, is not the one who hears from you what he wants to hear, but rather wills what he hears from you. In other words, to do the will of God is ultimately the, uh, the focus of prayer. That should be our prayer, that we may do God's holy will. And, of course, that was the agony of Jesus in the crucifixion, to do the will of the Father. You know, not my will, but yours be done. And uh, so that, that's always uh, uh, that, that's fundamental to, to what prayer is.
0: Speaking of prayer, Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together this morning. So could you close our program with a prayer and a blessing?
1: Lord, you've given us the grace and the gift of another year, 2023, 2023 Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. And we pray that we may be worthy to live this year in such a way as to give glory to you and to so shape our world and our lives that in all things we may be instruments of love and peace. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Archbishop, thank you for sharing your time with us, and hopefully this will be the beginning of a very blessed year for you and for all of the people of the Archdiocese of Hartford. We rely on God to lead the way for us all. Thank you. Thank you, Archbishop.